Hello, welcome to another episode of our study of the Arbakitot, of the four groups that Rabbeinu has listed for us. The Gemara Soto listed for us. Rabbeinu is helping us understand. We've been talking about liars and the things that are wrong with liars, and the importance. Last time we spoke about Midvar Sheker Tirchak, the necessity of staying far from untruth, from from lying. Today, I want to take the exact opposite perspective. I want to talk about areas in halacha where we say it's permissible not ever really to lie, it seems like, but to mislead. And there aren't, it's not um, a free-for-all. It's not you can do it anytime you want to, but there are episodes and situations where it comes up. So I'm going to start with, and I don't mean to be comprehensive here, I mean to just indicate questions that arise in places where it's become uh, acceptable, or it was allowed to be acceptable, in places where it can be um, abused and, and, and misused. So, the Shulchan Aruch in Yeridea in Tough Bet in 402, paragraph 12, says, Somebody loses a relative. And we mean a relative for whom one is supposed to mourn. Now, the tradition was that we don't try to impose more today. We wouldn't do this, I don't think. But the tradition was you didn't impose mourning on people who didn't need to know about or didn't hear about it. And if, for example, somebody would casually not hear that a relative had passed away until after 30 days, that becomes what's called an Avelut Yishana. And in the case of an Avelut Yishana, the person sits a symbolic one day because the deep loss is gone. I think today people want the right to sit Shiva as it were. They, you're right. But the Shulchan Aruch says, Somebody passes away and they don't know about it, there's no obligation to tell them, even if it was his father or mother. Meaning you think to yourself, ah, I have to sit here for my father and mother. So again, I'm not saying we should do this today. I'm just pointing out the Shachanarach's comfort with the omission. And the Shachanarach actually says, and you can invite the person to a meal, to a wedding meal, right? Let's do that Erisin, which is a betrothal, Nisuin, any Simcha you have. You know the person's really an Avel. He or she does not know. Not only don't you have to tell them, you're allowed to invite them. But if they ask, if they say, oh, you just came back from so-and-so, how's my father doing? Then you can't lie and say they're alive. And the Shulchan Aruch quotes the verse, sheker tirchak. So it's interesting that in the same paragraph where the Shulchan Aruch is telling us we can omit significant truths, and that's, I think, particular to the rules of Avelut, because the Gemara's perspective, and I, I, I remember... This is already many years ago. My father, Allah Shalom, passed away. Uh, I I went to Israel with the uh, with the for the kvur for the burial, and other members of the family did not. And I came back, and I got this psak that I should get up and finish the shiva with my mother Tibadel Chayim. She should live and uh, be given a long life of good health, a full good health by Kodesh Baruch by Hashem. So I got that psak, and I remember feeling I remember feeling cheated out of a day, and I said something about it. To, to one of my rebbeim, who said, if you really feel that way, I don't know that you have to get up, but the general assumption is, and this is one of the reasons why we are generally mekel be'avel, the halacha is that we follow the lenient view when it comes to avelu. Today, people have sort of gotten to, enjoy, obviously the wrong word, to feel that there's something productive for them and helpful. That's all different cultural thing. But in the time of the Gemara, avelu was not seen as something like that, and therefore, you were allowed to omit it. The Taz says, when the Shogarach says you can't lie about it, the Taz says he thinks nonetheless you can mislead the person. He uses this phrase, Beloshon de Mishtamea Litre Ape. You can use language that the person will take one way, but could be taking it another way. 
Meaning, and he explains, what do you mean? So it's not clear from your answer the person passed away. It could sound like they passed away, it could sound like they're alive. You could say something like that. So you won't have told them that their relative passed away, but on the other hand, you won't have lied to them fully. That comes to Avelo. So that's one area. That's an opening, interesting area. I think it's interesting to me because it's so at odds with our current uh, feeling. I think people today would be horrified and hurt and angry if they knew that a friend of theirs didn't tell them, heard that a relative passed away, didn't tell them so they could mourn, and invited them to a wedding as if everything was fine. But that's the way the Shulchan Aruch experienced it. And to me, when we watch um, people of good character, people of good wisdom, people who we follow, you know, we follow faithfully on other issues and we trust their judgment and they see a certain issue so differently from us. I think it calls for us to not reconsider whether we're doing the right thing, but reconsider our confidence and certainty that's the right thing. So one area where Shulchan Aruch and the Taz were comfortable with the idea that we would A, omit truth, and maybe even speak misleadingly was not the area of Avilut. But the more common area comes up in your earlier in your idea in chapter 157. These are laws having to do with non-Jews and with idolatry and worshiping of powers other than Hashem. So the Shogunarch says a person is not allowed to say that I'm a non I'm a now the Shogunarch says Ovekochavin. Theoretically that can mean you can't the person the Jews not allowed to say I worship powers other than Hashem and that's the issue. But it might be they're not even allowed to say I'm not Jewish just to identify themselves as a non-Jew because that is a rejection of their Judaism. They're not even allowed to say the Shulchan Aruch says so that they don't get killed. Right? So this is complicated because it might be that so they can't say it so they don't go kill because Abu Zora, worshiping of powers other than Hashem is one of the three uh, sins or commandments that a Jew is not allowed to transgress, even at cost of one's life. So the Shulchan Aruch is, seems to be suggesting that even just saying, I am not Jewish, or I am, right? It sounds like it's, I am a worshiper of this other power. That would be the problem with it. But I think it's plausible. I don't. I haven't checked the Chuvos on this for this, the, the Shutin. I think it's plausible. I think I've seen Chuvot that assume, even if I just said, I'm, uh, it, now, I'm not Jewish, all different question. We'll get to that in, in a second. But let's say somebody said, I'm a Christian or I'm a Muslim. I think there too, we think there's a problem, but maybe not. Maybe with a Muslim, it's easier. But if it's so that, he says, the Shulchan says, if it's just so that the person will not think you're Jewish, because Jews are being persecuted, Jews are being killed, God forbid the Holocaust. What can you do to avoid being identified as a Jew? So, the Shulchan Aruch is saying, you can't say, I'm an Obeiko Chaviv. The question would be, would that mean you could say, I'm German and not Jewish? So that, I think, was a question that came up, unfortunately and sadly, in Halacha. But here, the Shulchan Aruch says, but if instead of doing that, instead of talking about it, the person changes their clothing in a way that will make them look not Jewish. Now, the, we there are the Gemaras that talk about that you're not allowed to change the way you tie your shoelaces in a time of persecution in the ways that non-Jews come in. We'll get to that in a minute. Here, I think the answer is, and it's somewhere on this page, I don't have it in front of me right now, the answer there is that we think that that's when the non-Jews identify. The non-Jews say, everybody has to wear black shoelaces rather than white shoelaces, or white shoelaces rather than black shoelaces. There, a Jew is not allowed to submit because that'll be yielding to the non-Jewish gzeirah. But here, the Gzeira isn't to dress a certain way. The Gzeira, the time of persecution, is any Jews are going to get killed. So if a Jew just dresses differently, Shachar says, that's okay. Because the person is not saying, I'm 
uh, I'm an, uh, I am, God forbid to say such a thing, I am a worshiper of a power other than God. Now the Ramah says, and that can even allow wearing kilayim. Now kilayim is a violation of the Torah. It's a biblical prohibition. It's where we mix uh, wool and linen together in the same garment. They're woven together. That's usually not allowed. But here we're talking about saving one's life. So the Ramah says you can do that too. Even though, and then he says, even though you're not allowed to say that you're an Oveid Kochavim, and again, you can say it in a way that sounds both ways, sounds two ways, and the non-Jew will understand it the way he wants. He'll think that the guy's saying, oh, yes, I worship uh, that other power. I am a member of that nation. Whereas the Jew will be thinking something else. So an example that comes up uh, is that the, the person can say, the question was, well, the person could say, kein Jude in German, which kein Jude means in German means I'm not a Jew. Sounds like that it's not even just, I've been saying, I've been struggling with the idea. Do you, can you, is it only that you can't say I worship other than Hashem? It seems like we are assuming you can't even say I'm not Jewish. That would be a denial of Hashem or denial of the service of Hashem. And that would be part of this prohibition and the, which the Shulchan Aruch assumed was even at the cost of his life. However, it happens to be that the tradition was you could say kind you, not because it's allowed, but because you could actually mean kind. Not, not what you're asking me, not that I'm this, you the, I'm a Jew, but they'll understand it the wrong way. That's a lashon apin. It's a language that sounds both ways. So too, says the Ramah, if the per, if the Jew can mislead them and they'll think he's a, he's a, he's a, you know, that's allowed. Now, the, 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 the Ramah goes on and says, let's say somebody, this is a case that comes up with the Gemara, there's no longer a question of, Worshipping at powers other than Hashem, there's a question of Gilu Arayo. There's a Gemara, I think it's Sanhedrin, that talks about the fact that if a man develops a uh, a deep sexual passion for a woman who's prohibited to him, he's not allowed to act on it. And there's a whole the Gemara says, what about talking to her behind the fence? And the Gemara says, no, that too counts as that too is a problem of Arayot. And Chazal didn't allow it. Ramaz says. So let's say this happens to a man. He's all of a sudden he's got this deep desire for a married woman or other woman who's un, who's who's prohibited to him. He says if his wife can trick him into thinking that she's that other woman. Now I think the idea is she'll do it one time and that that will relieve his his, his you know his obsession and save his life. Shacharach the Ramos says that's okay. The Yosef says that's allowed. Now what's she doing there? So she's She's in some sense lying. She's presenting herself as if she's a different woman, a woman who's prohibited to him, and yet that's allowed, even though the Gemara had said you're not allowed to just even talk to the prohibited woman. And then the Rebbe adds, all of this is only allowed in places of danger. But, and this is an important thing that comes up too, if it's a question of avoiding attacks, then the Ramah says it's not allowed. Now, you could argue, well, what if the taxes are just many of the taxes? We talk about taxes. This is one of the things that I think that in our times has been forgotten. Because unfortunately, in certain circles, I don't know that it's true, but in certain circles, there is a rumor that uh, that Jews don't pay taxes. And maybe that's not true, and maybe Jews do pay taxes. But in halakhic sources, when we talked about Jews not paying taxes, it was because the taxes were unfair, they were discriminatory, they were um, capriciously administered, and therefore it was seen accept- as acceptable, it was allowed to uh, to avoid paying the taxes. In that context, says the Ramah, 
that doesn't allow what we've allowed here. This idea of I'll dress up like a non-Jew. We allowed the dressing up like a non-Jew, which gives the impression the person is not Jewish, although the person is not allowed to say they're not Jewish. That's what we already said. But we give the impression of being not Jewish to avoid death, but not to avoid taxes. Even though both of those are certain, there's no, no other certainties than death and taxes. You can do it to avoid death, not to avoid taxes. That's what the Ramos says. Now, there's a safer called the Yosef Omets, which obviously I found in my computer. It just popped up for me. So it was written a little background, written by the name of Yosef, Yosefa, the son of a Pinkhurst, Han Neulingen, who was born in Frankfurt and lived in Frankfurt his whole life in the late 16th century, early 17th century. He lived from 1570, the Barilan tells me, to 1637, which just reminded me of the proud history of Torah in the world of Frankfurt, of uh, the Khatam Sofer, who I looked at in a different context in my recent book, Judaism in the Postgame, he was born in Frankfurt, grew up in Frankfurt, left there, I think, just around the age of 20, or just before the age of 20, lived another 58 years, I think it is, in, in the, and never went back to Frankfurt again, but the rest of his life signed his letter, signed his uh, chuvod, uh, Moshe Ben, I don't remember what his father's name was. Anyway, so fair, right? Be Frankfurt de Main, of Frankfurt de Main. It's a proud city of Torah. So this Yosef Ometz, who's obviously much earlier, he writes a book called Yosef Ometz. His name is Yosef Yosef Han Neuerlingen. And he's got a lot of material on uh, the days of the year, everything that goes up to the day. He talks about the practices of Ashkenaz. And he says, he quotes a Sefer Haredim that says, if somebody is going to kill them, Shiyodebifim, and the person is allowed to admit it with their mouth or something like that. Oh, she are keen show. They, I'm sorry. They will kill the person unless he says something aloud or even nods. They'll say, "Tell us you, tell us you're a good Christian." But nod your head. That's not allowed. Chas v'shalom, right? Oh, chas v'shalom. Oh, I'm sorry. Or they also ask him to nod his head. That there's a you know there's a second being, right? There's a Trinity, God forbid, or there's no God, God forbid. The person has to be killed rather than do so. And he and also here he says, right? He can't even say I'm not Jewish, which is which I said before, but to me is a reminder, and I'm not sure we always think about this. It's a reminder that in many halachic stories, I once saw a tshuva of the Tzitzeliezer who spoke about the fact that while we all agree that Islam is a monotheistic real monotheistic religion, it doesn't mean that it's perfectly okay for a Jew or for a Jew to identify with it. But the question was going into a mosque. He said when he was growing up, and you shall lie him, I believe, grew up, when he was growing up, they were taught that whenever you pass by a mosque, you should turn your head, and you, should, you should spit, or you should say a possum, right? So the idea that if a non-Jewish religion is monotheistic, that it's just fine, is not at all clear. Because, as the Ram says clearly, unless and until uh, a non-Jew follows the seven mitzvot Noach, because Hashem commanded them to the non-Jews in the ways that we believe, that's not yet a full observance of them. So that becomes uh, a question. So here too, I believe that reveal that, that the Yosef Omitz is telling us, and he's living, you know, just after the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch was published in 1565, so he's born just after it's published. He says that they say to you to say you're a Jew, you're not allowed to that either. Even at the level of Yahari Glayabor, which means of, of being killed rather than saying or rescue, which means that he's taking even just that to be an act of, in some sense, worshiping power than other than Hashem. However, he says, as I've said before, which is our, our, our theme today, he is allowed, the Jew is allowed to mislead them. 
that they'll think he's saying something that means what they think, and he's really saying something else. So he gives the example that I gave before of Kain Yuda, which which uh, which means that uh, that he he'll be meaning not not whatever, but yes, I'm a Jew, and they'll be thinking you know, thinking yes, I mean he'll think Cain as in Hebrew, Cain Yuda, yes, I'm a Jew, and they'll be thinking I'm not a Jew. And he points out that in Nidarim, you're allowed to say, the Gemara in Nidarim says, you're allowed to say, Avda Debeinura Ana. Now, Avda Debeinura Ana, they'll understand it to mean that I serve the fire gods, as it were. When God forbid we should say, be saying such a thing, it'll be something like, it'll be that, it is that, we'll see this in a minute, that Psukim verses refer to Hashem as an Ish Ochlahu. It's a metaphor, but when I'm talking to them and I'm misleading them, I can say I'm an Avdadinura. I worship the fire, but I don't mean the fire like human fire, regular fire. I mean the fire referred to in that verse that uses the metaphor of an Ish Ochla, of a living or of an eating, of consuming fire for Hashem. Says the Gran Yeridea, you can even, on the Ramah who said you can even wear Kilayim. So the Ramah says, I'm sorry, the Gra says what I raised before, even though the Gemara said, then in a time of a of a uh, of a persecution, right? You're not allowed to change your shoelaces. The Gemara says that's when the non-Jews have decreed wearing such shoelaces. But when they just decreed, you have to be not Jewish. You can't do Jewish things. Then to wear clothing that shows oneself that way, they won't even know it. And the the Gros says, and therefore, and he's quoting a Truman edition, and because they don't know what's going on. There's no chilul Hashem, meaning the chilul Hashem, the, the, the blaspheming, the sacrileging of God's name in yielding to a persecution is that it makes clear to everybody that if it's a question of my life or staying faithful to God, God forbid, the Jew is choosing life. That's unacceptable. However, if the non-Jews made a decree, and the decree is just one's not allowed to be Jewish, we're going to kill all Jews, and the Jew wears different clothing, he's if, he's going to get away with it. And in getting away with it, there won't be a chil Hashem because they never said wear that clothing. They didn't do identify that as a way to declare one's lack of service Hashem, and therefore it's okay. But all of these, I'm pointing out, are ways in which we're allowed to skirt the truth. And as I review them, and I am not questioning any of them, but as I review them, just think about the complications that produce it. Right? If you know you're allowed to dress up as a non-Jew to save your life, you may tell yourself, whoever you might be, may tell yourself, oh, and therefore, you know, this tax would kill me. I can do it, for that, but the tax is not allowed. That becomes, once, once it's, uh, life, I've, I've said this for a while, life is a slippery slope, and you have to live on the slope, which is very hard because it's slippery, and it's very easy to go one way or the other with it, and that's, uh, and that's the challenge. So the Ba'er Hatev on that passage in Yeridea, uh says, quotes the, the, the Taz, who says it's obvious um, that, that you're allowed to let the right. He says, it's obvious that while one is allowed to do this to save one's life, one then afterwards will have to repent and, and do some kind of a formal repentance because when he, when the person did it, they were thinking that they were doing something they knew that it wasn't fully allowed. They were doing it to save their lives and that requires repentance. It's interesting, right? Another topic, right? Sometimes, when we, so nobody says, for example, if a Jew, forget persecutions, if a Jew is ill on Shabbat and we violate Shabbat to save the Jew's life, we save the Jew's life, nobody thinks there's a tshuva, there's a repentance needed there because it's allowed. 
here, the Taz is saying that when we say that somebody's allowed to mislead non-Jews and to say things that one not, or to dress in ways that one is usually not allowed to dress, that does require tshuva. One is allowed to save his life, and yet it requires repentance. I once saw tshuva from Moshe Feinstein's, where a woman writes about the fact that she, during the Holocaust, had succumbed to the pressure of a Nazi, of a German, who said he would hide her if she acted as his wife, and if she converted to Christianity and acted as his wife, so she did, and she felt terrible about it, she had to do tshuva for it. So there, I think she, I, I don't think, I think she like got baptized, but I don't think she actively worshipped, whatever it was. The Baratim then also says, then quotes the Gemara that says that a Talmud Chacham can say, as I said earlier, I worship the fire to avoid, and, and the Gemara says, just if you want to see how slippery the slope can be, the Gemara says that for a Torah scholar, they can do it to avoid taxation as well. Now remember, taxation then is not taxation now. That's not that taxation then wasn't a question of avoiding the money issues. It was that it was discriminatory money. It was um, unlimited monies. It was it was um, it was it, it was not administered fairly or 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 reasonably. All of those things. Now, why does he? What he says? Abdu. Now, I knew a fire is usually on avodat kochamim. It's worshiping a power other than God. But the Talmud Chacham, as I said earlier, this is the Bayerta I was referring to earlier, will think of it in, will be thinking of God, who's called an Eish Ochla, and the Marshal says, it's only a Torah scholar that's allowed to do this, because we don't worry, talk about slippery slopes, we don't worry he'll go too far. right? And also, Torah scholars by our lights, although the non-Jews don't recognize, but Torah scholars by our lights are not obligated in taxes the same way, because it's thought that they don't need the same protections as regular people do, because their Torah scholarship protects them. So those are both reasons why we allow it. And then, and so when the non-Jews are coming, they're coming to completely take what's not theirs uh, totally, but not with non-Torah scholars. Although, if you see somebody doing it, then you get used to doing it, right? And the Bach wrote, says the very Dave, that this is also true if somebody's traveling. And on the roads, let's say the roads are dangerous for Jews. I once was traveling... I won't say where anymore. It's not fair to those people because I don't know anything about them. I had no problems. But I once was traveling somewhere with my sons and I actually felt like it was dangerous to be known as Jewish in this place. It was a place in the United States, but I don't know that it's true. It was my feeling about it. It just felt very, very not Jewish. So the Bach says, in such a situation where it's more dangerous for Jews than for not Jews, you're allowed to change your clothing. As long as in that situation... He says you can't wear kilayim, right? You can only wear kilayim where there's a verified uh, persecution of Jews and Jews are going to get killed. Whereas where the roads are more dangerous for Jews, there he didn't think you were allowed to. So in that situation, by the way, when I was traveling with my sons, and it's really the only time I did it, I wore a baseball cap the entire way. I did not wear a yarmulke because I really just thought it would get me into, I don't think I was worried for my life, but I thought it would get me into like sticky situations and I said that. And the Bach writes, or the Bayer Hete writes, this was the practice of merchants in general and travelers, right? If you're used to the fact that when you travel, I knew somebody who was once going through, again, I don't want to say the countries, because, but it was going through, not a, not the United States of America, was in an airport, and was also treated, because he was Jewish, was treated uh, discriminatorily. So to avoid that, the practice became not to dress that way when you're traveling, when you're going to, right? That's what merchants did. You get used to it. I just want to say, while it's permissible, we're seeing this permissible, when you get used to that, that lead, that can lead, you have to be careful about this, to all sorts of other things. You get used to the fact that, oh, I'm on the road, I don't act as Jewishly. I don't act as, you know, as carefully about halal. And then, um, 
And also, the Vach and the Beretev says, in places where non-Jews have made a rule that Jews can't travel there, you can change your clothing and travel there. You know, I, there's a pell of settlement in Russia, so I think you have to get travel documents to get out of it. Let's say you didn't have the travel documents. So the halacha is, and this is one of those halachas where there are times when, I'm sorry, he's quoting a shock here. I don't remember when he switched. But um, there's a time when it was permissible to ignore certain laws because they were known to be unjust, capricious, not well legislated, discriminatory, all those things. When you embed that in a culture, is part of my point would be that it's hard to get away from that. So here, that leads sometimes to a culture where you think that it's okay to lie. Certainly not, we haven't talked about lying, but certainly to mislead, certainly to act in ways that give the wrong impression. That's what we're seeing. And that's what we're seeing here. Okay. Pirkei Tshuva says the Behetim Shem in the name of the Rashal, that is only talking Torah scholar, like I said. He quotes the Tshuva's base Yaakov that the Rashal is talking about, the Rashal is talking about when you have money enough for the taxes. So that's when it's got to be a Torah scholar. But he suggests that if you don't have the money, then, uh, then you can do it, other people can do it too. Meaning taxes are, back then, again, not so fair. And therefore, if you really don't have the money, you can do things and you can even talk in a lashon that mishtamea litre ape in two ways. Um, yeah. And the, now, the morning about Azar. Rabbi Lazar bin Parta, Right, they brought him before a court because he had been acting Jewishly and learning Torah. Right, and he wasn't supposed to. There was a persecution at the time, and they said to him, "Why did you learn? And why did you steal?" So he said to them, "Isaifa lo sifra, isifra lo sifra," which literally probably means, "If I bear the sword, if I'm an armed robber, there's no way I would learn Torah, and if I learn Torah, there's no way that I would be an armed robber." And the answer is, I'm not either of them. Right, that's what he says. Midhalat or namilat. So it sounds like he's lying. So the Torah Kayin was a prominent early Acharon, uh, on that Gemara says, even though we say you can't deny things and say you're not Jewish, that so they won't kill you, there, that's because it sounded like you're denying God. And that would be a reason maybe why you're not to say even just I'm not Jewish, because it sounds like you're denying God, and they want to kill you if you don't switch to their religion, whatever it may be. But, um, so Nimsak is Shomer, so it sounds like when you say, oh yeah, I'm German, and they're trying to get you not to be Jewish, you're not only conceding to being German, you're conceding to their whole belief system. But here, Rebbe Elizabeth Parta wasn't asked whether he believed in God or not at all, because, says Torah Chaim, lots of Jews haven't learned Torah. However, he's bothered by the following thing. He says, the Isaifa lo Sifra. He should have just said, why does he say Saifa and Sifra, which are the words for book and, and, uh, and sword, the other way around, sword and book, why didn't he answer in the, using the words they use? They said, why do you study? They said, lama tanita and lama ganavta. Why did you learn and why did you steal? And he changed the words. So the Torah Chaim says that Rabbi Lazar bin Parta, Rabbi Lazar bin Parta, sorry, Elie, earlier in that Gemara, Rabbi Lazar answered a question misleadingly. He said, they called him in about, about why he had served God in a certain way. And he said, I trust the judge. And the judge himself thought it was that judge, the human judge, and therefore let him go. Whereas the Lazar actually meant, I trust Hashem, the judge with a capital J. And that was a language that was mishtamea, litre apex. So here too, Rabbi Lazar bin Parta was trying to find a way to answer their question, but differently than what they meant. He wanted them to misunderstand. They would understand the way I translate it is, I didn't learn, I didn't steal, right? But he, the Torah Chaim quotes a Medrash Rabbah in Bechukotai, where Rabbi Lezer says, 
that books and swords were given together, and that Hashem says to the Jewish people, if you keep what's in the Torah, the book, you'll be saved from the sword. And if not, then you're thinking you're just not keeping the Torah, but the answer is, the sword's going to get you. And so he says to them, meaning he sort of talks about something different, he says, by the way, if there's a sword, it means somebody hasn't learned, and if there's, if there's learning, and, and that means there won't be any sword. And what he was saying to them, although they would never have known this, was that I don't worry about you. Because if I learn Torah well, then I'm going to be saved from the sword. And if I didn't learn Torah, I'm, and, and God forbid, if I hadn't learned Torah well, that's when I'd be vulnerable to you. But since I know, this is what Torah's time says, since I know that I've kept the Torah, I don't have to worry about you. Now, that would be an example of of really misleading, right? And that, says Torah Chaim, is certainly allowed. So he switched the words. He said something that sounded to them like he was answering them, and he was saying something completely different, and that's a Lashon de Mishtamea litre ape, right? And that, and he also gives the example of Kain Yuda that we've said before, of saying, no, I'm not a Jew, when he really means, yes, I'm a Jew. Or no, or it means, no, I'm not, and then, I, and then I'm a Jew. The Arach Laner says a similar thing, you know, I'm going to skip the Arach Laner. He has to think about B'nai Yosef, about the brothers when they sent to Yosef after their father's passing, that what they sent to him was not actually through a messenger. He says, why did they send a messenger? And the messenger says, your father commanded before he died. And it sounds like he before he died to forgive the brothers. And that's, we don't have any reason to think that's true. The Arach Laner says they did it through a messenger, and they really was also another example of speaking in a way that would sound like one, but means something else that's not quite a lot. So the Magen Avram and Kufnun Vav. The Magen Avram and Kufnun Vav is a Magen Avram worth learning. Kufnun Vav is where the, in 156 in Orachayim, where the Magen Avram lists a bunch of mitzvahs that are supposed to be uh, affected you throughout his or her day. The Shulchan Aruch does not address directly. So one thing he says there is the idea that for peace, right? We have this idea to say to, to keep the peace and to uh, to end arguments. We're allowed to change the truth. Like Hashem says to Avraham that Sarah said, I'm old when really she said that Avraham is old, that. So he says that's something about the past, not about the future. And he quotes a Gemara that says there are three things we're allowed to talk to, to change, to, to talk about what we've learned, where we've slipped, who kept, uh, who, who hosted us, right? The Gemara is a, a Mishpat. So the Bhagavad Avraham quotes a Rash in the end of Shabit who says, if somebody goes to a place where they're not known, and they think that person, they decide that person is a too big Torah scholar. They honor them too much. He has to them, I didn't learn that much. Right? That's the Yerushalmi. And also, that a guest shouldn't say about a host who's so great. Right? Um, so, the Magad Avram says, you can say, and also, I'm sorry, one last piece, is the Magad Avram says, there's a, a Gemara Bravo says that if you want to say something, you can say, I can say something in the name of a great Torah scholar, so that, actually, so that people will believe it from you, right? And then he quotes also, you can say, you learn from, you, you, but on the other hand, it says that if you say, I heard something from such a such Torah scholar, when you didn't, so that caused the divine presence to leave the world. So that gets us into the topic that we'll pick up, God willing, next time of when we're actually actually to fully lie. Today, we've been talking about the times when we're allowed to say things that are misleading. So misleading is the series of things that we're speaking about today. And there are times when that's allowed, although it comes with many, many dangers because it's sometimes only allowed for a Torah scholar and yet non-Torah scholars will be tempted to do it. It's sometimes only allowed to save one's life, but sometimes for monetary purposes. And that'll be a question. So this is a complication of Rabbi Yona's idea, which is a full idea. 
We're not allowed to lie. People who lie in general will lose their ability and their right to greet the divine presence. However, there are these exceptions of cases where we're allowed to. So we saw today the idea of mourning a little bit, when somebody's supposed to be in mourning, the idea of being persecuted and maybe, God forbid, being killed for being Jewish, the idea of taxation in certain situations where it's not fair. Those are all examples where it might be permissible to mislead people. Next time, and then the Magad of Rab said, sometimes we also mislead people to maintain the peace, to avoid fights. But next time, God willing, we'll see and talk about when there might be permissible lies. We're allowed to even fully lie, and we'll get to that. So that we'll pick up on the issues that I just mentioned here at the end. In the next two weeks, we'll talk about permissible lies, fabricating fabricating quotes of people, and uh, and then it'll take us to the next three times, and then we'll have a better sense of lying and how it works, and when we're allowed to, we're not allowed to, in Allah. Thanks for joining us. This has been our discussion of the beginning of when we can mislead people in Allah as part of understanding what's allowed, what's not allowed in terms of lying. Be well.